Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swag lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. Here's the run of the play. He is. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports Podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome to the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you finding us on the various podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher. we got a great show for you tonight. We're going to interview, we got two great interviews for you. We're going to interview Roy Cummings, who's been covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers since 1999. We're also going to interview playwright director, Bretton Reese. Bretton is, is directing a, theater performance as part of the Voices of Truth Festival about a sports radio friend of his who was a big sports radio caller and he's a stat guy and all that. So we got two great interviews for you. But first off, we're going to bring in Roy Cummings. Roy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Roy is, again, Roy's been covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers since 1999. He's been a journalist since 1983. Is that correct? You got that right. I said a little bit earlier if you count college, but we won't count that. (laughs) (laughs) Roy worked for the Tampa Tribune from 1983 to 2016, when unfortunately the Tampa Tribune went out of business. And now Roy's been covering the Buccaneers since 2016 for pewterpirates.com. So Roy's got a very distinguished career. If If you follow the NFL, whether it's in Tampa, around the country, you've seen Roy, heard Roy over the years. As the, as the main beat writer covering the Buccaneers. He's done a great job. I was just telling Roy that many years I lived in Alabama, Roy was my outlet to cover the to listen and read about the Buccaneers online with the Tribune. So I very much thank you for doing all the hard work you did, Roy. Well, I had a lot of fun doing it, and it was for people like you that I did it. So uh, I'm glad uh, you found an outlet to follow the Buccaneers, and I appreciate you making it me. Absolutely. It was great. I'm, I'm a diehard Tampa-born guy and followed them from day one. So uh, it was a lot of lean years. So you, you've covered some some lean year teams for many a year. Yeah, I had some uh, lean years. I was fortunate, you know, as, as you noted, I, I came out of the beat in 1999 off of covering uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning from their inception. And uh, uh, I got to be honest, I went kicking and screaming onto that Bucks beat. Uh, I was so established with hockey and was um, getting to the point where I was getting some national recognition doing stuff there. And uh, 
for a couple of other uh, hockey uh, papers and things, and uh, obviously for the Tribune, and was loving every minute of it. Um, but I was fortunate that I got onto the Bucks beat uh, at a time when uh, they were playing their best football uh, ever. Uh, Tony Dungy was the coach, 1999, obviously, that uh, that special team that they that ended up getting to the Super Bowl uh, with John Gruden as coach a couple years later was uh, intact. And uh, so I was fortunate to come on board at a good time. Roy, Roy is a Chicago native. Is that where your hockey love came from, from growing up in Chicago? Absolutely. Born and raised in Chicago, Lombard, Illinois, is the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the suburb that I grew up in. And yep. yeah, I was always more of a, I mean, a diehard Cubs fan, diehard Blackhawks fan. Kind of lost my affiliation for the Blackhawks a little bit, but my love for hockey remains. And um, football was funny. I was never a Bears fan. Uh, it was hard to watch the Bears back in the day. Uh, you had to have like closed circuit TV to get most of the games at home, right, especially. Right. And um, so I was more of a Packers fan. My dad was a, my dad was a Packers fan, but um, and boy did I hate the Bears after I came to Tampa <laughs> and uh, started following the Buccaneers uh, in '77. So uh, yeah, it, uh, it was kind of funny uh, being a Chicago kid and hating the Bears as much as I did back in the '80s. That's that was funny. kind of an interesting dynamic. So you, you guys, it'd be interesting to know, how, how did you guys decide to end up moving? In, I saw, saw you moved to Lakeland, Florida. Yeah. How did that, how did, was that a dad got a new job kind of situation? Yeah, exactly. My father and a couple of people that he knew uh, were involved in a, a nursing home project uh, uh, that they were developing, a nursing home development uh, in Lakeland. And uh, that's what brought us to Florida. And uh, I was very excited about it as a kid. And, uh, it, you know, it's obviously worked out great for me, but I'll always consider uh, Chicago home, um, no doubt about that. Uh, still love it, still miss it. Uh, don't miss the winters. They were tough, but, um, uh, but uh, Chicago's still home for me, even though I've spent, uh, what, three quarters, almost uh, most of my life, actually, in, uh, in Florida. How did you develop the love for wanting to be a journalist and a writer and all that stuff, or especially a sports Did you always want to be a sports writer? Or you just want to kind of be a journalist? Well, I, I, I always wanted to be involved in sports in some way. To be honest, um, when I was getting ready to go to college, in fact, my first year in college, I was studying to be an architect. Um, I'd actually, you know, done some some uh, work in architecture and, and drafting, and drafting and that kind of thing. Actually had a couple of homes designed and, and built that I designed. and uh, uh, But my passion really wasn't there. And uh, I failed a trig test, trigonometry midterm, <laughs> my first uh first year in college and uh, the professor came to me and said, um, what's, what's your major? And I said, uh, architectural engineering. And, and he said, I don't think you're gonna be able to do the math. And it was a bit of a wake up call. And so I went home and uh, talked to my family and a couple of friends and uh, somebody mentioned, he says, you know, you've always liked writing. Why don't you think about being a sports writer? And I thought, hmm, that's not a bad idea. And um, so uh, from that point on, it, it kind of, the light bulb went off and, uh, uh, I, I married the two things, two things that I love a, a great deal, sports and writing. And uh, fortunately for me, it, uh, it worked out. That's awesome. Roy's been, a, Roy's been named the Florida Sports Writer of the Year on two occasions. So great honor there. Congratulations on that. And obviously he's still doing some work with, the, with Pewter Pirates. Talk to me about the sadness, because people don't realize the Tampa Tribune was an institution down here for many a years. It was the only paper in town. And there was a St. Petersburg Times. Talk to me about just the sadness of you having to that part of your of your career ending and having to find a new a new avenue. Yeah, it was it was it was not only sad, it was shocking, and it was I'll be honest, it was a scary time. Uh, you know, here you are, 
you know, 50, uh, 58 years old and uh, all of a sudden you don't have uh, this job that you thought you would probably retire from uh, working for an institution. Uh, Tampa Tribune was around for more than 100 years. Uh, we were the paper of record on, I, I would say, virtually every, uh, every sport in the area, certainly the Buccaneers. And uh, yeah, it was tough. A lot of good friends, a lot of good people um, kind of had the rug pulled out from underneath them when it was, uh, the paper was bought up by uh, our rival across the bay in St. Petersburg and, uh, and then put out of business. And, uh, you know, only a, about two or three guys, um, two or three, four or five of our writers and uh, uh, editors were uh, brought on to the other paper. Everybody else had to kind of go look for other work. And I was fortunate though. I mean, I, I, I was able to move into uh, writing for a couple of uh, online sites um, right away. And, uh, basically at the same salary I had, had with the Tribune, which was fortunate. And um, unfortunately, a lot of online ventures uh, fail as well. And a couple that I was with did. Um, but um, now I'm uh, working for a, uh, a healthcare marketing newspaper called Florida uh, Healthcare News. And um, the, in essence, the managing editor there. And uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of good people. And we do a lot of good work uh, helping people discover things, um, you know, help them find doctors and things for basic issues, you know, it could be a, a dental issue, could be a sore foot, could be a bad back, that kind of thing. And uh, I found I, I like it a lot because again, it's, I'm not writing sports, um, but I'm writing about people, which um, to me is what sports is all about anyway. And it's been interesting. I've, I've met a lot of people uh, through this uh, job that uh, I, I really appreciate a lot of people I never would have met before. And uh, every once in a while, I run into somebody. In fact, it ha actually happens rather often. I run into somebody who remembers me from covering uh, the Bucks or the Lightning, or and we end up spending uh, 20 minutes on the phone reminiscing about that. So uh, uh, I feel blessed that I've uh, got the position I've got now for sure. How how did you handle kind of in the probably the, it was probably early 2010s, just the full transition from print media to online, where everything is instantaneous. You can post a story right now as opposed to having to wait till the next morning for it to post. How did that transition work for you? And were you nervous when all that kind of was happening or, or was that just a kind of a natural a natural transition for you? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, not a lot of people, especially who've been in the business as long as I have. I mean, I go back to a time when we wrote on, you know, regular typewriters and, and we put out hard, literally hard copy, you know, wrote on paper or something as opposed to computers and, uh, I went through a couple of different computer uh, generations before we got to where we are now and uh, where everything's so simple. Um, so yeah, a lot of people that were in my position had a hard time making that transition, but I could see it coming. Um, fortunate, I guess, that I have some kind of skill and ability to have a presence on TV and on radio and, and the Tampa Tribune and it, its parent company back in the day, Media General, uh, when I was covering hockey, um, they started a, uh, uh, an, an effort, uh, a convergence effort, um, where they were getting the, kind of what we see now is on a regular basis, reporters on TV, um, breaking down the, the, the big story uh, and, and giving their opinion as to what's going to happen and what's going to happen next. Um, you know, the media general is kind of out, uh, on, out, out on a limb with that early on. And I was one of the people, uh, with me and a couple others at the Tampa Tribune were kind of their test cases you know, can this work? How will it work? And um, so I was uh, doing a lot of TV early on, uh, you know, shortly after getting onto the lightning beat, doing a lot of extra radio, my own shows, that kind of thing. So I could kind of see this transition into the electronic formats coming. And much like I did with TV and radio, uh, 
uh, I embraced it. And really, um, you know, it was hard. The, the biggest transition was not holding on to your story until the next day, uh, knowing that you had a scoop on the other paper or uh, the entire nation in some cases. Um, right. Getting that story out there right away uh, and basically nobody has scoops anymore. I mean, you see someone comes out now on Twitter uh, with the information, whatever it may be, could be a signing, a trade, something like that, uh, an injury or something. And, you know, within five minutes, uh, 35 other outlets and a uh, hundred other people following the team um, have the same information. And at the end of the day, you kind of forget, well, who had the scoop? And that mattered a lot back in the day. Sure, um, sure. So the biggest transition was, giving up the idea of who had the scoop. Um, you still see uh, some outlets, most of them, the, the most legitimate ones will say, uh, this was first reported by so-and-so or, right. or, or some particular uh, entity. And that's important. Um, but really that was the hardest thing, uh, getting it, uh, just admitting that, hey, I'm gonna give up this information now, even though it's not complete and we haven't completely vetted the story. Uh, we know what we have is accurate, but there's a lot more to be told. And then figuring out a way to get the news out there right away and then bring you a different story in the newspaper the next day, uh, really dig deep inside. And I thought really to me, what, um, what I think the, the biggest challenge is for reporters now and writers now is to make that transition. Once the news is out there and everybody knows the score of the game, they've seen the highlights and everything else, how do you take them beyond the score and the box score. How do you tell them something they don't know and bring something new to them? And that, and that became the challenge, whether it was a game day story, a game story, or a feature, or uh, just the breaking news about, you know, the quarterback they just signed in free agency, whatever it might be. Um, you had to take them beyond the headlines and start taking them a little bit deeper into uh, the real news and the real uh, nuts and bolts of why it happened, how it happened, what it means going forward. Well, we got Roy on a perfect day. That this is the first day of the of the negotiating free agency period. We you, you can deals galore today. So we had a per, it was perfect timing to get Roy on. The Bucks were super active today, getting a couple of big guys in, in, back in the mix. Shaq Barrett, Gronkowski back in the mix. So a big day for the Buccaneer front office. Yeah, it sure is. And you know what? I'm really happy for Jason Light and uh, Mike Greenberg and the whole staff that he's put together. That Jason Light has put together. These guys were doing great work um, even, you know, before Tom Brady came and they started getting recognized yep. for it. They, they, they were criticized quite a bit, actually, for free agents that didn't work out because, let's face it, half of them don't. Yeah. Uh, draft picks that didn't work out, and let's face it, at least half of them, maybe a third, two-thirds of them don't. Um, they, they got a lot of criticism for that, but now as the team has come together the way Jason Light kind of envisioned it, um, it, it's good to see those guys getting some credit and it's, it's good to see that players want to stay here and be a part of it and continue, uh, what could be quite a legacy for this football team. I mean, um, what Tom Brady has been able to do along with Rob Gronkowski, Shaq Barrett and Dominican Sue, Jason Pierre, Paul, the whole bunch. I mean, they have put together a really, really good football team here that has found a tremendous chemistry in a hurry and, uh, the culture, really the culture. That the culture that they've built is in how fast they've instituted a great culture. And Arians is a big part of that as well. But those guys in particular are the leaders of that team, the leadership of that team, Levante David as well. Yeah, you're right. And uh, you can't underestimate that culture change that's happened here. 
Uh, really, I think that's uh, that's as important as the talent. But look, the talent was there, but at some point, it's got to all come together and work together. And um, that's what that's what's really happened over the last uh, you know, fourteen uh, months or so. Is uh, is this team has come together in a way that the talent was there. It was just a matter of certain guys maturing quicker, and it, it happened. And, and certain guys coming in. And showing them, hey, this is how it's done. This is how you win championships. And now that they've got a taste of it, uh, guys like Shaq Barrett, Levante David are willing to take a little bit less money to try it, try and do it again and again, maybe. So um, really excited for the Buccaneers and their fans because uh, it's been a long wait. Uh, we talked at the top of this segment about uh, the lean years. And, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to see the Bucs win their first Super Bowl and be there for that and cover that and uh, follow that. But – was also there for the demise and, and, and another decade of, of struggles yep. um, where they couldn't find that chemistry, where the talent wasn't quite good enough. And uh, to have that all come together as quickly as it did uh, for this team, uh, it's been special. Fans know that. And uh, to be on the inside, uh, it's, even, it's even more special. How do you think over the course of your 22 years covering the Bucks? I know the, the Glazers, let's talk about the Glazers. How do you think they've evolved as an ownership group, as a family relative to the football team? There were years where they went wild and crazy when they went for John Gruden, they'd paid all they had to pay. And then there were other years where they were very lean. Part of it was rumored, hey, Manchester United is milking some of the money away from their commitment to the Buccaneers. How have you seen the Glazer family evolve over the years? You know, obviously the biggest change is from, uh, from Malcolm, the father, the patriarch, to the sons. Uh, running the show. And uh, I, I think the biggest change to me that I've seen is the philosophy on how to build the champion. Um, under Malcolm Glazer, who, who I believe listened very closely to Rich McKay when he was the general manager, they took the philosophy that, general, that Rich McKay believed in, which is you build a team that you know will be in the mix every year for the next five, six, eight years. And if things break your way, you'll get to the Super Bowl eventually, and, and hopefully you win it. There's The other philosophy is you build it through free agency. When you can't find the pieces in the draft, you, you use free agency to, to fill in, and you, you make a Hail Mary pass here and there and, and try to just get an instant winner. What The transition I've seen is that under Malcolm, they did it the old way, where you built the team and you were, you were patient and you kept the players around, you re-signed your own guys, uh, you didn't lean on free agency that much except to fill in a hole here and there, uh, and you didn't spend a whole lot of money there. You, you basically put your money towards developing your own players and re-signing them. The draft, yeah. And um, the Suns, uh, Joel and Brian, I think have taken a little bit different approach. Obviously, uh, you know, they, 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 they went after, and, and, and Malcolm was involved in this, but it was more the Suns when they – took the, the, the Hail Mary pass and went out and got John Gruden and Keyshawn Johnson and those guys. Um, and then they did it again, obviously, with Tom Brady. Uh, there's two ways to go about it. That way has worked twice now for the Buccaneers. I don't think that's going to change. I think they're going to continue to take their, you know, throw their Hail Mary pass here every couple of years and or every decade and see how long it works for them. Um, this time it's worked out and it's, I think it's going to last. We'll see. Uh, everybody thought it was going to last under John Gruden, and it didn't. Um, probably that was because of John Gruden and uh, and Bruce Allen and the way they uh, took the team apart. But uh, this team is um, already buying into staying together. So, uh, but the Glazers, I, I don't think they get enough credit for being as good of owners as they are. 
Um, they, for the most part, they do stay out of the, the football operation. Um, they certainly have their say, and they should. They are the owners. But for the most part, they stay out of it. They let the football people run the football end of things. And I don't think they get enough credit for that. Um, the other thing they don't get enough credit for, um, yes, there, there was talk back in the day about is enough money going to the Buccaneers as opposed to Manchester United. Uh, I, I know for a fact that uh, nothing was ever kept back from developing the Buccaneers. Um, that was their first love, if, if you will. Uh, I, I kind of thought they, they always, to me, looked at Manchester United more as a, as a business rather than a passion. Uh, they're both businesses, obviously, but I think the, I think from a, a want to win standpoint and, and, and develop a team, I think the Buccaneers were always their first love, so to speak, and I, they never held money back. Um, it wasn't always used right and, and properly, right. and some of it, uh, you know, just some of it just went to waste because the players that they bought didn't work out. But the money was always there. You look back in the day, it was never unusual for the Buccaneers to sign somebody to the to the most lucrative contract ever for a center or a yeah. tight end uh, or a defensive end or a, or a cornerback. Um, they took their chances and, and the Blazers were behind that. So uh, better owners than they're usually given credit for. I agree. I agree. I think one of the best moves they ever made, it would have been so easy to when they, when they let Dirk Cutter go to blow it all up and let Jason Light go, but they trusted in Light and what he was doing. He's drafted very well the last four or five years. If you look at the Buccaneer roster, so many of those contributors are draft picks, whether it's offensive linemen, defensive backs, you know, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, uh, you know, so he, they've really done a pretty good job in the last four or five years of developing those kit, those guys and keeping them, like you said, because that's the key. You don't want to live and die on free agency. You have to be able to develop your own guys and get them to sign that second contract with the team. Yeah, which is what I like about what they're doing right now. Yeah, Tom Brady and, and Rob Gronkowski are uh, obviously the, uh, you know, the jewels in the in the bunch right now, yeah. and they were brought in through free agency, and um, they probably aren't as long-term uh, as yeah. certain guys are, like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Shaq Barrett perhaps. But they're, they're, at the same time that they've got those guys, they're re-signing the other players that are going to be part of the core going forward. And um, you may never find another Tom Brady. Nobody, I, I don't think we ever will. Um, you know, but you can make the argument that, hey, uh, Jason Light, uh, you know, did the right thing in, in bringing in Jameis Winston. And if this team had had a little bit yeah. better defense, a little bit better kicker with Jason, with Jameis Winston, a quarterback, yeah. that team could have made the playoffs and we never would have gotten to where we are now. So you never know how things are going to work. But the key to it all, I think, for the Glazers is they've always been patient. Uh, for the most part, I mean, sometimes you could you can make the argument they're not because they, you know, every two years they were changing head coaches, <laughs> but they really stuck with the GM. And uh, and to me, that was a different form of patience. So, um, you know, it's tough in this league to, to 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 give a coach only a couple of years. I thought th there were a couple of coaches that deserved a little bit better uh, shot, but um, for the most part, they stuck with the GM and they did it again with Jason Light uh, because they trusted him and uh, and it worked out. All right, let's talk about access to information. You've dealt with multiple head coaching staffs and, and general managers over the 22 years. Talk to me about how the difference between some staffs, some organizations, access to information as opposed to others. You know, I'm, I would think a guy like Greg Schiano ran a pretty tight ship, probably hard to get information out of Schiano, maybe a dirt cutter, whereas Raheem Morris might have been a little easier, guys like that. Just talk about in general – 
the the, the access to information for you guys to be able to do your job and to, and to be able to break and write stories that are that are truthful and accurate. Yeah, and, and 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 not to make it sound as if it's all about the media because it's not. But what the media is something fans never should never forget is the media is the conduit to the fans without the media bringing you the information, the fans don't get it. And and that's what we're there for. We're there to get the information out to the fans. Um, The way we look at it is the the person who buys a ticket, the person who just invests, uh, you know, two and a half, three hours on the couch on a Sunday afternoon. um, They have a right to know what's happening with their football team. As a beat writer, I always thought it was my job to tell you what's going to happen with this team before it happens. Um, who, who are they going to sign before it happens? Who's going to get traded or cut before it happens? Is the coach going to get fired before it happens? That was always my objective is to tell you that information before it happens so that you aren't surprised by it, blindsided by it when it does happen. Um, in terms of getting access, no one was better than Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's philosophy was uh, exceptional. And I, I think every coach should look at it this way. He wanted every one of his players available during the media opportunities that they that we have every week uh, for two, three, uh, two, three, four days a week for 45 minutes in the locker room. He wanted all of his players there for that so that if they ever got to the playoffs and if they ever got to the Super Bowl, they weren't overwhelmed by the media requirements. Um, It's one of the biggest adjustments teams have to make on Super Bowl week is you have to devote an hour uh, to, to sitting there and talking with the media every day right. uh, while you're also practicing and everything else. Um, and in a lot of cases, it, you know, it's a half hour bus ride or at least a, a trip down from your room or out of a meeting room, uh, you know, into some ballroom where they've got a table with your name on it. Um, and for some players, it's, it's 45 minutes to an hour of constant uh, questions from the media. For others, it's just sitting there, you know, looking at your phone. But he wanted everybody to be ready for that and be accustomed to that so that it wasn't a distraction if they ever got to the Super Bowl. And the media benefited from it, and so did the fans, because everybody was available. Um, some probably didn't like talking to the media. Uh, others certainly embraced it like you wouldn't believe. Warren Sapp, Keyshawn Johnson, right. they couldn't get enough. You know, it was it was lifeblood for them. So, um, But other guys, you know, Mike Allstott, uh, Warwick Dunn, they could have dealt without it. We know that, but they were there for us when we needed them. And that was great. Uh, Raheem Morris was very similar to that. Uh, and you know what? We never had a coach here in Tampa who, who completely shut you down. Dirk Cutter might've been the most difficult um, because he wasn't really a believer in letting out the secrets. Um, but there's a way to tell everybody what you need to know yeah. without saying the secrets. And he couldn't quite figure that out. So he would hold more back and, um, and so that was tough. But uh, the bottom line is we we're always going to find it out anyway. Um, that's our job, you know, and in one way or another, we're going to find out what it is we want to find out. Coach doesn't want to tell us that's fine, but we don't need the coach to tell us all the time. We'll find out. But um, Dirk was probably the toughest. Greg Shiano was actually pretty open. Okay. Uh, he was looking to change the culture too. Uh, he wanted a lot more discipline, uh, but he also understood that, um, he needed the media to get the message out. And, uh, and again, that's, that's really what the media is there for. We can help both sides. We can get the information for the fans and we can help the team get its message out as well. Um, it's not always going to be a good message, but uh, for the most part, you can, you can use us for that as well. And we're always willing to be used. What do you think of the Bucks kind of approach now in free agency? Obviously it looks like 
not just the Bucks, but other teams are kicking the can down the road on the salary cap. The Bucks are probably going to have to pay a price at some point down the road with all these contracts where the salary cap hit is so low this year, where two, three years down the road, they're going to get hit. How do you think teams are adjusting to that? And is that kind of the, the, the going to be the norm here these next couple of years? I know the Bucks are in a win now mode. So every organization is a little different how they handle it. Cause I know the Bucks are in a, probably a two year window of we're going for it in the next two years with Brady. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. They're definitely going for it. So they're going to be a little bit different in their approach right now. They're not going to necessarily worry about what 2024 looks like. They're more concerned, obviously, about 2021 and 2022, and well, they should be uh, with the team they have. But, um, you know, I think the league as a whole, right up until last year, over the previous couple of years, had kind of come to uh, kind of a, an, a overall, everybody was had figured it out. Uh, two-year contract or contracts, no matter how long the term, if the if all the the the, uh, the the guaranteed money was paid up in the first couple of years, it allowed you to stay within the cap right. uh, a lot easier than if you started throwing a lot of big money at people uh, and, and you made it hard to to be cap compliant uh, in years three and four of these contracts. Um, I think what teams are thinking now is. Well, we've had a scale back on the cap this year because of the COVID situation, because there wasn't enough revenue coming in from ticket sales. Um, but I, my, my guess is their belief is that all of that is going to be won back probably by 2024. Right. And so that when some of these contracts um, have some big numbers uh, due, they're going to have a bigger cap. They'll probably be at $220 million per team. New TV, deal, new TV deals. New, new, yes, new media. New yep. Deals will help. And, and again, you can always, you always have that opportunity if the player's still playing up to the contract or playing beyond it, uh, which is your hope, um, you can always restructure. So I think right now there's a lot of teams, the Bucks are one of them, they're gambling that the cap is going to be where it was projected to be anyway right. uh, by 2024 uh, at 220, 230 million. And, uh, and if it is, I think they feel confident that they'll be in decent shape to all be cap compliant or mostly cap compliant. Sure, sure. All right, so with Drew Brees retiring yesterday, who is one of your favorite guys in the division that you – I'm sure you, you covered Brees many a year. Was he one of your favorites to cover – the non-Buccaneer guys? Who were a couple of your non-Buccaneer guys that you enjoyed covering? Obviously, you, you went to every division's home once a year, but who were some guys around the league you liked covering that were not Buccaneer-related? I got to say, uh, you know, we dealt more with coaches than players. We would get a player once in a while – uh, I mean, certainly there's class guys out there. Uh, Drew Brees is one, Matt Ryan. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of guys like that. Uh, Luke Keekley was one of those. Um, but the coaches, I think, were the ones that we probably developed a greater relationship with. And I'll say, you know, Mike Smith and uh, uh, was probably one of the best. I mean, he treated everybody uh, really well. Um, the coaches were always good. Uh, Mike Tomlin, a lot of the guys that came from the Buccaneers staff, right? Uh, people I still have relationships with and uh, that you develop strong relationships with because, you know, you lean on those guys for so many years. And really that's how you get to know people around the league is uh, you see these guys come up as young assistants. And then when they get to, to jobs as head coaches or coordinators, uh, they still, you you know, you still remember them and that's how you develop the relationships. So it's unfortunate in football that you don't see enough of op of the opposing team players to really develop a relationship with them. You only see them once, maybe twice a year. And if you're like me, 
Uh, I'm not going into that uh, Saints locker room after a game. I'm going into the Bucks locker room, win or lose. So you don't see those guys a lot. You deal with them a little bit once a week on Wednesdays for maybe 10 or 20 minutes when you get an interview with them. Um, and you're really just, uh, you're not even a name and a face. You're just a, you're just a name uh, to them and a voice. So uh, it's unfortunate. But with the head coaches, those guys you would see at uh, NFL owners meetings, uh, Ron Rivera is another one who was exceptional, great to deal with all the time. Um, so, uh, again, those are the guys you probably develop the best relationships with. I bet those were some of the funner events to go to when you go to the league meetings and things like that where guys were in a little more relaxed state of oh, mind. Yeah. They're more willing to talk to you off the record probably, and you get to see so many of them in one venue. It's probably major, you know, just, just meeting people around the league. No doubt about it. Senior Bowl, uh, the – the scouting combine, uh, East West shrine game, even uh, getting these guys, NFL owners meetings, um, getting these guys in a relaxed atmosphere where they're not, you know, concentrating on their game plan for Sunday uh, is such an important uh, tool for a, for a reporter. Um, had a hard time early on in my tenure on the Bucks beat, getting my editors to understand that, Going to the Senior Bowl and, and some of these other events, uh, NFL owners meetings, how important it was that I tried to get them to understand, if I don't produce a story today, that's really not what I'm here for. Right. I'm here to develop. This is source development. Right. And source development for a reporter is so important. Um, and and it's, it's developing sources within scouting staffs, within assist, you know, assistant coaches, head coaches, going out to dinner with these guys, spending literally an hour at lunch with the general manager off the record where he's telling you, okay, here's what our plan is for every player on the roster. And don't write any of this, but just, just so you know. And then my job was to go and, okay, I've got this knowledge. Well, now you go and you say, okay, I've got this information. It's off the record from the general manager. How do I, how do I get it in the paper? How do I, how do I tell my readers that running back one last year is probably not going to get a new contract. Yeah. Or and they're, may not or they're looking to trade for a new guy. They're looking to right. trade for a left tackle. Right. Well, you, you walk around at the C, at the scouting combine and you find his agent and you say, Hey, uh, so what's happening with running back one with Tampa Bay? Uh, any, anything I should be knowing about it there? Anything that I should be looking for? Any, right. And I'll, lo and behold, he'll tell you, you know, um, you didn't hear it from me. Go ahead and print it, but you didn't. Don't use my name. But um, he's probably not coming back to Tampa. Uh, <laughs> they don't want to match our our contract demand, and uh, he's going you know, to New England. Going to New England, and the next thing you know, I'm writing that running back one's going to New England, and according to a source, and you know, nowadays people don't trust unnamed sources, but that's how the game works. Yeah, yep. and it starts with a little bit of a nugget that you get from, you know, the, the, the highest, uh, you know, the, the, the hierarchy. And you, then you have to kind of work, uh, you know, closer to outside of the target. You don't always hit the bullseye. Sometimes you work from outside the center and you get the information. And as you, again, your job is to tell people what's going to happen before it happens. And so when running back one ends up in new England and people are wondering, why didn't that happen? Well, you told them three weeks ago, it wasn't going to happen. So. I mean, just, I'm sure from, from equipment guys to trainers to, you know, people in the offices, that's yeah. how you get information is you get one little nugget. Oh, so-and-so didn't practice and boy, his knee didn't look good in the MRI or whatever. 
and what you do your job. Understood because maybe they weren't there on the front lines was getting that information in the middle of the season when you get when you're having a a press gathering with the general manager and everybody and his buddies around him. Right. Uh, you know, isn't going to happen. But if you have to be happen to be sitting up in the stands at the scouting combine, or if you're just walking the sidelines uh, at at uh, the, the senior bowl, and, and you happen to sidle up to the, the the general manager and you're talking for ten minutes, and you just say, "Hey, what about uh, what about uh, wide receiver two? You know, what's your plan for him? Oh, we're going to resign him. Don't worry about that. He's coming back, and yep. you know, we're, we're going to move him to the slot this year. All of a sudden, you've got information, and you know, if you know how to do it that information is going to be in your paper the next day or up on Twitter in 20 minutes. And yep. uh, that's how you get it because you're, they're so relaxed. Um, get them with a couple of beers, get them out to dinner. <laughs> that's how information is, uh, is obtained gentlemen. That's how it works. And uh, sometimes editors didn't quite understand why am I spending, you know, $1,400 to send you to Indianapolis for five days right. and I'm getting three stories out of it. Well, here's the reason because it's you're going to get ten more stories that you're going to get three months from now. Yeah, exactly. or in free agency and all that. Yep. What yeah. was the biggest difference covering hockey day to day to day to day as opposed to covering the NFL, which is 16 Sundays a year? A massive difference, um, and maybe this was partly because I was involved in a in a franchise that was new uh, to a, a non traditional market here in Tampa with the Lightning, but it all seemed it seemed like we were kind of all in this together from the last player on the roster to the head coach, to the media, to the radio and TV guys, it was kind of like we're all pulling on the same rope. Um, and, you know, as much as anything, I mean, I wanted that team to work and be successful because that meant my stories were going on the front page of the paper. Uh, they were going above the fold. Um, it was a unique thing when the lightning first came. And uh, again, relationships, I developed incredible relationships there. Um, I was fortunate to, uh, to, to be really tight on the inside with um, the coaching staff, the general manager, uh, the assistant general manager, the head scout, probably because we're, again, I covered that team from the moment Phil Esposito first came to Tampa and said he was bringing a team here uh, through the first eight, 10 years on the ice. And uh, when, when you're, when you're ingrained, in the fabric of the team, the way I was uh, there every single day, all day. And again, everybody trying to pull on the same rope to get this thing working. You know, it was for different reasons. You know, they wanted their franchise to be successful. They had money to make. I wanted the franchise to be successful because it meant I would get noticed. My stories would end up right. on the front page. Right. So, you know, am I rooting for them to win? Yes. You know, it's always better when a team wins. <laughs> so yeah, you want them to win a little bit, but it never hurt my objectivity. I mean, when a player wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, uh, doing his job, I wrote it. And, you know, I had my moments with other players and coaches and, you know, I'm there, uh, there was one day when I got on a team bus uh, in Philadelphia and Terry crisp, uh, the head coach of the lightning. I got on the, I got on the bus and he said, you and I are going to go round and round this afternoon, my man. And I said, okay, bring it on. And, uh, you know, we had our moment, and from then we moved on. Phil Esposito and I used to go get into shouting matches once a week about <laughs> stuff like But at the end of the day, we'd laugh it off and move forward because, you know, at the end of the day, we're both just doing our jobs, and we respected each other for that. And he'd buy you a beer in Toronto. When you, 
He'd buy you a beer when, when he got off the bus in Toronto. Yes. Football was different. Football is a us and them situation. Right. There is a barrier between uh, the media and the team, and there isn't a whole lot of crossing that barrier. Uh, it's hard to do, especially when the coaching staffs are changing as often as they have here in Tampa. Um, there, there's not a lot of continuity. It, you've got to get to know a whole new staff of people, whole new staff of scouts, et cetera, et cetera. Very hard to develop those uh, relationships and to get that to develop the trust where someone will tell you the information you need to know and they know it's going to get in the paper, but they're concerned, well, my name can't be on this or it can't come from me. Um, it takes a while to develop that kind of trust. So harder in football to do that. Uh, it, it's hard. It's harder in hockey and baseball for some teams to do it. Um, but if you're there long enough and you do it the right way, you're going to develop those relationships. And I was fortunate to do it uh, everywhere and, and with everybody. And, some- and like you said before, the transition media wise, when you started covering the lightning, you probably were one of two or three people at most that were covering the team every day. Whereas now in the NFL, there's probably 15 people sitting in a press conference at one buck place covering a Tuesday, Tuesday morning press conference or what with just the number of people covering the team is just vastly different because of the online presence, all the different online medias that are now out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the biggest thing that's changed uh, with the way the media operates now is you have much very, you have fewer guys literally on the front lines who were there, as you just said, who were there every day, all day, not just showing up once a week, not just showing up at the games, um, not stealing somebody else's uh, tweets or, uh, right. or blog posts and, and regurgitating it. Um, they're on the front lines getting the information firsthand. There's very few people doing that now. Um, and to me, that's, uh, that's a negative turn that the media has taken over the last few years uh, with the onset of social media and everything else is it's just it's so much easier for anybody to put information out about a team. Uh, you know, you can be sit literally, I can be sitting here and I did a little bit of this with one of the uh, internet enterprises that I worked for after uh, the Tribune was uh, put up, put, put out of its misery. Um, <laughs> I was asked from, from Tampa, you know, to write, you know, why is Mitch Trubisky the right answer in Chicago for, for the Bears? Well, how the hell do I know? Right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can give an opinion about it, but my opinion is not an educated opinion. Right. Um, and I was very uncomfortable writing some of that stuff. Um, and to me, that's that's a negative turn that uh, the media has taken is you've got a lot of people in places that uh, where, where they don't have access to good, hard information. Um, some of that inside information as to why decisions are being made. Uh, regarding personnel and players and things like that. And, uh, uh, and they're writing about something they don't really have all the answers to. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, being in Tampa and covering the Bucks every day, you always had all the answers. But I promise you this, uh, if, if you're someone like me or uh, you wrote for a newspaper or, or something like that, you didn't write it until you knew damn well you had it right. Right. And right. what you were writing was right. You weren't taking flyers. Um, you, you weren't guessing, you weren't speculating, uh, unless you were writing a speculative column about what could happen in free agency or who they could right. sign. Everybody does that. But if you're writing a news story about a player, um, you're saying, and you're going to say legitimately, the running back one is not going to be with this team, that he's going to be lost in free agency, that the, the Bucks aren't going to re-sign him. You better be um, right. You better damn well be right. And that was the, uh, that, that was the demand and the command from, 
on high at the newspapers. All right, we'll print this. You're using an unnamed source here, but you damn well better be right. Because if you're not, it's your ass. <laughs> there you go. All right, sounds like, so I know you're a sports junkie. You are you you still follow the Cubs religiously? Oh, it's the only team I honestly root for on a day to day basis. Okay, and I I never miss a game. Uh, I read about them every day. Uh, I I follow them on Twitter religiously. Uh, it is the only team that I literally root for on a regular basis. Is the Cubs? Um, that is the team that I always will root for till the day I die. Uh, cannot get enough Cubs baseball. Why aren't they spending any money? They're getting rid of all the good players. I'm a little concerned about that. And, and come um, on. You know, I, I think their, their feeling is let's see if this uh, core group that we have can do it one more time yeah. uh, under David Ross, see what, see if we can get, get something done here uh, before we break it up. But, but uh, if they're not, um, if they're not two, three, four games ahead in July, uh, look, look for a couple of those uh, cornerstone pieces to be gone. yard sale, yard yeah. sale in, in Wrigley. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, last thing I'll get you out of here. I really appreciate the time, Roy. Who you got in the who you, who you got in March Madness? You know How's what? I haven't even looked at it yet. <laughs> I heard Michigan's a number one. They are. I'm gonna go with Michigan, but you know what? Illinois is in this year. Yes. So I'm gonna so I'm gonna root for Illinois, uh, but I haven't even picked my uh, my. I, I will. Uh, I will get in a pool and uh, got a buddy and uh, who, who always puts one together. And uh, that's, uh, I used to cover college basketball, but uh, over the years, I've uh, certainly lost track of that, unfortunately, but I will get into it. I'm going to say, I'm going to root with my heart for Illinois. Yep. And um, I'll, I'll say with my head that it's going to be Gonzaga or Michigan. How does that sound? I mean, Michigan, Michigan lost one of their best players a couple of days ago to a stress fracture. So they're a little, they're, they're kind of limping in, but Second round matchup in Illinois region could be Illinois in Loyola, Chicago. That'll be big, let me tell you. Sister Jean. Yes, <laughs> I'm ready for that. I'm rooting for that already. Yep, that, that's a second Thank round matchup if they both win. Absolutely. So, well, Roy, man, it was a great pleasure, man. I really appreciate the time. Awesome career covering the Buccaneers for for pewterpirates.com, the Tampa Tribune and such. So really appreciate the time. You did a great job, man. Thank you. I appreciate you letting me share some thoughts about it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Okay, Roy, have a great night. All right, take care. Okay, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash-out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Or you can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. You just heard our interview with Roy Cummings, the, the former uh, the Buccaneer insider for many, many years with the Tampa Tribune and other outlets. Now we've got a special treat for you. We are going to interview a playwright director of a 
theater performance coming up in the Tampa Bay area called, his name is Bretton Reese. He is part of a festival called the Voices of Truth Festival that's going to be based out of here in Tampa. And uh, Bretton is one of the playwrights that's going to be putting on a performance. It's about a, this festival is about a two and a half week long festival that'll end on March 28th. It's ongoing now. There's a, there's a uh, show every night, a different show every night for about two and a half weeks. And Bretton Reese is the director and playwright of one of the performances. So Bretton, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Bretton, uh, this Voices of Truth Festival, it's an interesting uh, festival. It's a new kind of, I don't say it's a new phenomenon, but it's every, every show is virtual. So, right. there, so there's people. So, you know, give us a little background on what drew you to this festival and how'd you find out about it? Sure. Yeah. So I had written this play uh, last year, uh, sports related. We'll get to that. Um, and was looking for, you know, an opportunity to, to share it and uh, found out about the festival through a, a playwriting website. Basically, they were looking for submissions. So I hadn't submitted it anywhere, but they were looking for particularly uh, plays based on true stories. And it seemed like my play would be a really good fit, I, you know, I hoped. And so I sent it in and, and heard back that it was accepted. And so I uh, went from there and we've been, we've been in, re in rehearsals and getting ready to, to film it for the virtual festival. Now, yeah, this, so this virtual festival, it's, and uh, if you're interested in buying a ticket, the beautiful thing is you can be anywhere in the world and it's all, all these, all these performances are live streamed. There'll be a couple of pre-recorded shows that'll be live streamed as well. But I mean, you can watch a show every night they, um, it's powerstories.com is the website, and it has a list of every night of what what show's going on. These are all real-life plays and stories, so they all have a true, they're all based on true stories and true events and all that stuff, so uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great festival. Again, if you're interested in theater, obviously most people can't go to the theater these days, so definitely would encourage you to reach out to powerstories.com. You can buy a ticket for as low as 10 bucks for a, a single night performance, or you can buy a package, which allows you to see all the performances. Every show after the show, you can have a, um, you'll be able to be invited to a Zoom presentation with the, with the playwright and the director. So Brett, and you'll have your opportunity to speak to all your fans yeah, and all that right. stuff following the show. So uh, Bretton's show is called Stat Geek and Natick, and it's based on a, kind of a sports, a friend of his who's a big sports radio fan up in the Boston area. Bretton is up in New Hampshire. Is that right? Boston That's area, right. New yep. Hampshire. Yep. Currently living in New Hampshire. Got lots of family in the Boston area. Yep. So Bretton's wearing his Boston Red Sox hat. He's a Patriots fan. So uh, yeah, he's a big sports fan himself. So I'm going to let, um, you know, so what kind of, how long, tell, talk, tell the audience how long you've been in the, in the theater business and kind of you've been something you've been doing your whole life or is this something you got into recently? Talk so to us about your career. Yeah, I started in high school. Some of my friends were doing the, the play and it, it looked really fun. So uh, I joined up and got hooked and I studied it in college. I got my master's in theater and then I've been working as a as a freelance theater artist for pretty much my, my entire adult life. Yeah, Bretton's been involved in over 200 productions as either an actor, part of the opera, uh, part of the stage production, as a director. Um, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is, this is meant as a total compliment. Looking at Bretton, he looks like he's about 12 years old, <laughs> which is a yeah. great thing because he, I know he's not 12, but he looks like he's about 12 years old. You know, I always say I'm actually six foot four. So I always say I look like a stretched out 12 year old. There you go. Well, well it's, 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 I'd much rather look like a 12 year old than a 75 year old. So hey, right? you got good genes, man. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So what prompted you to write this show? And, and, you know, I know it's kind of based on a friend of yours, but talk to, yep. talk to us a little bit about the show and how, sure. where, where the inspiration come from. Sure. So uh, I, one of my best friends growing up, played sports with him my, my entire life. Um, you know, he was always like, he was the point guard and I was the power forward playing basketball all through school. Um, and uh, he also suffered, unfortunately, from a, a really horrific eating disorder, uh, anorexia nervosa, and, and he passed away in 2015. Um, one of one of his loves was sports stats. He knew everything about statistics. He was a nightmare to play against in fantasy, uh, you know. And he he studied economics in school, and uh, he was always very stat focused. And that led him to call into uh, one of the most popular shows up here, Felger and Maz, um, you know, big show. And, w uh, he was, W E E I right. It's uh that one's uh yes it's the sports hub it's ninety eight five okay yep. in the Boston area okay yep yep and uh, so you know he would he would always call in and he used this on air uh, pseudonym this moniker Stat Geek and Natick and he would call in with just the most you know out there deep dive stats that you know I never even heard of he'd be like yeah the SOPS plus for Mike Trout is it was one eighty two that year it was really good I'd be like what is SOPS plus um, and, you know, the guys on air loved it because they'd be looking for these deep dive statistics and he'd, they'd be like, hey, we need the stack geek and he'd call in and, and give them the numbers. Um, and so he had a lot of fans who you know, didn't know who he was, but just knew him as the stack geek and Natick. Um, and so, you know, he uh, had this really cool relationship and I that always stuck with me after he passed, you know, he had, that he had this impact on people who never got to meet him. And so I was looking at, at stories to tell, and that's one that definitely affected me. You know, I, I miss him a ton, and uh, you know, I miss talking sports with him. So this was a way to to spread his story, to bring awareness to uh, an issue, eating disorders that really needs light, you know, cast upon it to fight it, um, and, and and really make that story have an impact even now. Cool. Yeah, like I said, it's and this is a um, you know. Obviously, sports related. We've all, if you're a sports fan, we've all listened to sports radio. A lot of us have called into sports radio shows and with our opinion, all that. And I got to ask while you're here, what are your thoughts on Tom Brady playing in Tampa, man? <laughs> I'm so conflicted. I'm so conflicted. I was rooting for him. Ultimately, I was rooting for him. It helped that they were kind of the underdog there. Um, but, you know, the, the team, the way that they kind of unceremoniously let him go, it just felt wrong. And uh, <laughs> I, I had to keep rooting for him. I had to. Uh, well, he, he's, a, he's a rock star of epic proportions down here, man. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And Gronk, you got Gronk in the bargain, too. Yeah. I mean, how about yep. Gronk? He says, I would rather basically not play 
for for a year. I would rather go away from the game than stay with the Patriots. It's like, oh man. And then you know, sure enough, Tom Brady moves and there he goes. Well, I'll burst your I'll burst your bubble. We're, we're recording this on the first day of kind of the NFL free agency period. And Gronk just re-signed with the Bucks like an hour ago. So oh, he's back for goodness. another year with Brady oh. and all the fellas. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you got a party boat down there, huh? Oh, that's man. right, man. That's right. Well, your, your Patriots had a good day today too. They signed they a bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah, unexpected. You know, they're not the they're not the kind of team who open up the wallet and, and spend that kind yeah. of money. I, I think it's been since like 2003. They were saying the last time they shelled yeah. out that kind of money, but yeah. it was it was very unexpected. And I think it's because everybody's really mad up here. I know, right? Now, are you now are you a diehard New England sports fan? All the all the sports teams up there? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge Celtics fan. That's that's my number one team. Patriots, Red Sox, absolutely. Bruins too. Yep. Um, Bruins. Been beat up by your by your uh, lightning the past few years so. <laughs> and the boston tampa rivalry is uh has been heating up for sure what um what kind of i guess do you want to continue to to go in this kind of the sports genre when it comes to your shows or how do you kind of come up with these ideas of things to do for the next show and things like that down the road sure yeah i i'd, I'd love to i love talking sports and it's been really fun to incorporate um, kind of two passions and meld them together in this way. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of theater fans aren't sports fans. Right. Kind of the, the stereotype that they're kind of these two different, very distinct worlds. Um, so I'm going to see how this one goes. If, if a lot of, if there is a lot of crossover interest and we get some theater people who are saying, hey, that was really cool. I liked the sports aspect. And if we get some sports people who are like, you know what? I hadn't seen a play in a while. That was really cool. Uh, I want to check out some more plays. If there is that kind of interest, then it's something I'd love to explore more. I think yeah, I mean, just, and just you know, I don't know what the whole story is. And so I, I will um, definitely tune in on March 28th. But obviously the sports angle is just a piece of it. It's more of the personal probably relationship relationship of him with the with the yep. broadcast with the radio station with you and just and the struggle he was going through with his disorder so we, we're not going to tell away the whole story but it's more of a human story than it is necessarily a sports story absolutely yeah it really is it's about his relationship with with the broadcasters uh and his his battle with this this horrible right. um, affliction and uh but you know it, it's interesting i feel like sports when it's at its best, it's about the narrative, right? It's about, you know, Tom Brady leaving the Patriots and, and forging his own his own path. Like, it's about the story. So, and I hope that that's what comes across in the play is that, you know, there are these stories in sports that parallel our day-to-day -day lives all of the time. And it's just another way of looking at the world around us. How have you, how have you had to adjust your directorial process when you're mm -hmm. not in a live theater as opposed to in an open, you probably you're in, a, you're in an open room somewhere do, doing the performance as opposed to doing in front of a live live audience. How has that been different for you as both an actor and as a director? Yeah, it's been it's been very very different. A lot of our rehearsals were just over Zoom, and so and on one hand that lets you really focus on the text and like getting in there and talking to each other and and asking interesting questions rather than worrying about how the play looks at any given time. Um, but, you know, and then we get into we get into the space and everybody's staying distant. Everybody's, you know, masked up. Even something so simple as not being able to see somebody's mouth when they're acting is really right. strange because we, we tell so much with half of our face. Right. So part of this, this story kind of gets lost. We're fortunate in that when we um, 
are doing the actual performance are we've put all these procedures in place we have to go through all these hoops kind of get covid tests and and keep everybody separate keep get the crew tested have them in masks so that we can film the performance without masks yeah right which is really great so i think that'll help tell the story but it has been uh, a struggle for sure to adjust to all of these new parameters what are the what are the uh, obviously every part of the country is a little different what are the are the restrictions still pretty strong up in new england as opposed, you know, I know some parts of the country are a little looser as far as letting people get out and about. What's it like up where you're at now these days? Yeah, it's it's pretty strict up here. Massachusetts in particular. In New Hampshire, we have a little bit of a live free or die streak. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little bit looser. Uh, Massachusetts is pretty, pretty strict. It wasn't until last week that you could even have any performance, period, with an audience. It was just completely prohibited. You could not have a performer and an right. audience. And even now it's, you know, I think it's like 8% capacity or something like that. It, it's, it's to the point where it doesn't make sense to even try to have an audience. Right. Because, you know, for all of the extra costs that you incur by having people right. there, you're not going to make it up with 8% of the, the audience anyway. So we're I just really you. hoping for the vaccine. All right. So tell everybody where they can, what day they can find the performance. I know it's coming up here in another week or so. Give, give us some little, some details about the performance. Yeah. So it's March 26th. You go to powerstories.com, you get your tickets, you'll tune in uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, you, you'll get sent a, a code if you buy a ticket, and that allows you to, to access the video. And, uh, and you can tune in. It runs about 75, 80 minutes. There'll be a talk back after. Uh, and and it's, it's a really powerful story, I think. Um, it's one that has greatly affected me, and everybody who I, I've shown the script to has really uh, been affected by it. And I think I hope it's worth checking out. I really hope everybody tuning in will come check out our play. March where, and where can we find you, Breton, on, online as far as social media, that kind of stuff? Sure. I have a website, bretonreese.com. That's a great place. That's a way to, to contact me. And I'm on Twitter at Breton Reese. And it's B-R-E-T-T-O-N-R-E-I-S. That's right. So that's Breton Reese. So find them online. I really appreciate your time, Breton. Good luck appreciate with the show. Your- Thank Again, so the, voices of, the Voices of Truth Festival is ongoing for the next couple of weeks. You can go to powerstories.com to buy your ticket, either for a single night performance or for the entire festival. Again, at whatever performance you purchase, you'll have access to the show as well as to the director in the po- after the show's over on a Zoom call. So, Breton, wish you all the luck in the world, man. Thank um, you so much. Good luck with the good, good luck. I hope your page. I know the Bucks go play the Patriots up there this year. Yeah. Maybe he comes back to Foxborough. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> I'm not too optimistic with Cam Newton. Uh, under there. <laughs> but uh, good luck with the show and keep, keep, keep doing great work. And we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks Sounds for your time. Good. Thanks, Jason. Have a great night. You too. Thanks again for listening to the powers on sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.